Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari. Dr. Bakhtari, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Oh, thank you for having me, Kevin. I uh, we were talking a little bit off camera right before I hit the big red button, and and uh, I mean, I, I once again I have succeeded in having a classic underachiever on my show here. Uh, it, there's there's nothing in his CV that that would that would stand out, but uh, I would love for you to share a little bit about yourself, Dr. Bogtari. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so um, I'm a um, I'm a clinician. I'm a doctor, a medical doctor. I I trained in internal medicine, pulmonary and critical care, and practiced clinical medicine. I had the good fortune of having other experiences in the world of medicine. I've been on clinical fa faculty uh, in, a, in several medical schools over my tenure, and then had an opportunity to work for the hospital side. I was um, medical director on the hospital side and chief of medicine and other positions in the hospitals, and then also got a chance to work for health insurance companies um, and so as medical director. And, uh, and then finally, um, you know, we started up a, a couple of healthcare companies and got to, you know, experience the entrepreneurial uh, CEO side of healthcare. And so that's, that's how we got to where we are today. So I, I look back on your kind of your bio and, and you started out like at Case Western and then went to medical school at Ohio State. Is that correct? Yeah, so I went to Case Western Reserve University. Um, I'm just an amazing place. Uh, and I had an undergraduate degree in biology and psychology and then uh, went to Ohio State, which was another amazing institution, um, you know, Big Ten school and probably one of the best medical schools, I think, in the country. Just mm -hmm. a top-notch program, which I think really built the foundation for my career the education i got there it was a very classic medical school experience in ways that i haven't seen many other places but and then i went to northwestern university in chicago for my internship and residency in internal medicine and then i went to ucla um, in westwood california for my pulmonary and critical care fellowship now, were these building on each other or were these like you just wanted to have a broad, a more broad scope of, you know, kind of your medical foundation? Well, you know, medicine is the way it's structured. If you want to be a subspecialist, you have to go down the general route. So you have to, you know, specialize in, in for example, if you want to be a critical care expert, you have to be an internist first. So mm -hmm. it's sort of like if you want to work on mufflers, you have to be a general mechanic first. You got to right. kind of do the general stuff first. Otherwise, there's no there's no avenue to become a specialist without sort of doing the general. So I kind of knew I wanted to do critical care and pulmonary and um, and you know doing internal medicine was the way to get there. Now, was the, the your time in Hawaii, was that before UCLA or after UCLA? Yeah, so it was my, yeah, I got recruited really right out of UCLA. In fact, literally got a phone call saying, hey, we have a position in, in, uh, in Hawaii, Queens Medical Center as part of University of Hawaii in ICU there, in the intensive care. 
So that was my first position that went well. I really enjoyed it a lot. And then subsequently got recruited to join a big group here in Las Vegas. At what moment in that progression did you actually have MD after your name? Right. The day after you finish medical school is when you get the MD. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's a really amazing transition because you're, you know, you go from being a fourth year medical student and essentially, I don't want to say you're a nobody, but you know, whatever, you're, you're not a doctor. <laughs> I don't know what you are. And then, and then you, fin you graduate and, you know, assuming you pass your boards, you know, you graduate somewhere in May or June and, you know, Ju July 1st, you start your internship and all of a sudden July 1st and all interns can relate to this. You're, you're an MD, you're a doctor. So, um, you know, I have this funny, really funny story. Um, I remember my first day of being an intern. So the first day of being a doctor uh, and started at Northwestern University. And so we met the group and they said, well, we have a call schedule and Bakhtari, you're on call tonight. So first day of internship, I'm on call. And on call means, you know, you get to sleep at the hospital you know, they give you a little room and back then a beeper and then <laughs> you're on call and i'll never forget because you know as soon as five o'clock or six o'clock came and i was on call all of a sudden I, I got my first phone call and it was really weird because it was from a nurse and i you know vaguely recall the conversation she's like hi is this dr bacteri and i'm like yes and he goes and some something to this like oh Mr. Smith is shorter breath or something and he's not doing well. And the only thing that could come to my mind is why are they calling me? Like, why are you calling? Shouldn't you be calling like a real doctor? I mean, shouldn't you get someone on the phone that, that could help this poor person? And believe me, Mr. Smith wants a real doctor. Yeah. Mr. Smith wants a real doctor. He doesn't want somebody who's first day of internship, but anyway, it turned out well, but that that's what runs through your head when, you know, as long as you said about the day you become a doctor. So I, I was trying to, and uh, listening to some some other like interviews you've done, I was literally trying to list some of the kind of the, the timeline and the trajectory and my, my pen almost ran out of ink. I'm like, I'm like, this man has lived like four lifetimes already <laughs> and he's only 32 years old. I mean, yeah. what in the world? I mean, is how, the the trajectory seems to shift very quickly in your in your kind of your timeline but it it does sound like it sounded like to me that you were rarely actively pursuing anything it's like right. these things just kind of happened yeah it's, it's really amazing it's um you know i call it the one door opening up the next door kind of thing yeah i don't know if that and i'm sure a lot of people when they look back at their lives kind of have that experience you know where they i don't know they they take a yoga class and they meet someone at the yoga class that helps them start their next business kind of thing. You know, I mean, it's just sort of like one door opening. Another. And that's really what it was for me. I think every experience sort of, uh, you know, opened my eyes to the next experience. Mm. And so, so I think that's probably some of what you're seeing. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, so often we've talked about on the podcast with previous guests, I mean, nothing is wasted. You know, it's like, it's like things build on each other and it's, mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of building this, this beautiful mosaic of experience mm -hmm. and knowledge and, and aptitude and mm -hmm. capacity. And, and I mean, I, I can see that it was a lot of, I mean, it, it looked kind of, you know, like this, this, um, you know, this 
waving river or whatever, but but it was, it was building on itself. And and these were, one thing was related to the other. So I am really curious about the transition. I mean, um, I doubt that it was just like a bright light epiphany you had one day that just said, oh, by the way, I need to add business to my repertoire here. So <laughs> walk us through kind of that, the, yeah, your business that, transition that. story. Yeah, you know, um, I think uh, after I got to, Nevada and, and I joined this big pulmonary critical care group and, you know, became a partner, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, I, I think, I think you, you, I realized, you know, so what's next? I mean, so th this can't be it, right? Like, okay, now you're a partner. And so you're just going to kind of just hang out and be a partner forever. And so, you really play uh, so much golf. <laughs> yeah. No, well, believe me, no, none of the part we had, we were working long hours, but aside from that, uh, so then I, you know, I, I sort of initially got into, you know, the, just some positions of the hospital on committees and, and then, uh, then I became chief of medicine and head of an, you know, one of the ICUs. And, and I think those administrative positions, you kind of opened my eyes to mm -hmm. other administrative positions, which then led to other jobs in, in the healthcare insurance space and then the hospital side and, is it just one position open of another? And I, and I think there was this yearning, uh, you know, once you sort of get to the top, you know, if you're a lawyer and you finally become partner, you know, you just say, okay, well, you know, I still need a second act. You know, I can't have just the right. book end right there. And I think there was this yearning to have a second act. You don't want, you don't want the whole thing to end right there. So I think, yeah, I think it was just wanting to, uh, you know, I want to, I want to learn the next thing and then I want to learn the next thing. And, uh, I think this is not being satisfied and say, okay, I'm here, let's park it here and, you know, just do the same thing. And you, you I think you mentioned in another inter interview that you had had, you know, some administrative responsibilities and some, I mean, you virtually had, had run things, you know, right. before as well. It's not just like you were, you were a worker bee in kind of the machine of the, of the hospital or whatever, but mm -hmm. you really had had responsibility to lead already. I mean, the, the stage right. multiple times. Right, right, no. Uh, but for other companies and other organizations and right. you know, huge corporations. So it's one thing to do it for them. It's another thing to step out and say, oh, I wonder if I could start from scratch and create a a company on my own and those are different skill sets than mm -hmm. than what you have when you're sure. an administrator and you're working inside of a corporation well you used a, a second ago you'd used the, the the phrase you know we started a couple of companies who's number one who's the we and yeah. what are the couple of companies we started uh, well the we is you know me and my staff i mean <laughs> i guess just me but you know i, I my organization uh, if you you know heard some of the other interviews, the culture we have is you know, everybody in our organization is an owner. We don't we don't have any filler positions, and mm -hmm. you know we don't have uh, nobody really works for us. Everyone is the company. Mm -hmm. So when I say we, I think we're just used to talking like that. But um, certainly, my senior staff is is part of the we. But um, no, we started uh, you know E Seven Health uh, back in two thousand nine. Uh, it was called the Vaccine Center, and we morphed it from a from another sort of idea that was uh, there as a, as a travel medicine company. We just came up with this idea to create a preventative health and wellness company uh, that focused on adults and mainly a lot of adult vaccination, 
uh, and, a, and a lot of adult preventative care. We do, and we consciously opted not to do primary care or urgent care. Uh, so we weren't taking care of sick people. We were just doing books of business that kept people healthy. <laughs> mm. And, um, you know, as I've said in other places, you know, we were like a COVID-19 company before COVID existed. Right. You know, a lot of people who somehow got into the COVID business in one way or another pivoted. Mm -hmm. Or right. started okay. after the fact. Or started, yeah, we're going to be a COVID company or, hey, you know, we were a telemedicine company now, but we're a telemedicine company, you know, doing COVID. Mm -hmm. All we were doing were vaccinations and testing for different viruses and, and, and uh, antibodies for different viruses. And that was the core of what we were doing before COVID hit. Mm. And so, you know, if people didn't know why we were necessary before COVID, now they know we, we, we do what would need to be done, you know, for illnesses and things like COVID-19. Now, when you talk about like travel medicine, or mm -hmm. was this probably like, if you're going to Kenya, you need yellow mm -hmm. fever, you need right. malaria, you need that type of thing. Um, so is it, is it kind of like the CDC meets the county health department type uh, thing? And we fill that you, gap. Well, again, with travel. So, yeah. I mean, if you really want me to unpackage all that, I can. Um, so most people, you know, I'm glad you're aware of it, but most people are not aware what travel medicine is. It's actually a specialty. You know, you, there's textbooks on it. Yeah, there's no board certification, but you can get certified physicians and other healthcare professionals. And basically what it is, is, um, you know, based on CDC guidelines, if you're traveling to anywhere in, uh, in the developing, uh, developing world, certainly Central America, South America, the Caribbean, Africa, uh, parts of the Middle East, uh, or if you're traveling to parts South of Asia, Asia yeah. mm -hmm. um, per CDC guidelines, there's a set of uh, travel vaccines you need to mm -hmm. get, some travel prescriptions you need to get, and some travel counseling you need to get, mm. and, and specific to the areas that you're going. And so travel medicine is a field that, um, you know, came to being to basically fulfill all of these obligations that people should have when they're traveling, even to Mexico. I mean, per CDC guidelines, there's a whole host of things you need to do um, when you're traveling. And I, and I think the misnomer is, oh, um, you know, I, I already know what to do. I'll, I'll just drink bottled water. I mean, that's like one, one half of 1% of it. <laughs> and, um, and also what to do if you get into trouble, you know, where, where are the reliable hospitals in that country and i know you've traveled a lot i mean some to europe but you've traveled a lot and um and this information is key if you're going to certain parts of the world Absolutely. and so yeah so so we initially started off as you know a travel an existing travel medicine operation which just did that and i think we part, a big part of travel medicine is vaccines mm -hmm. um and so you know I, when we first started, we realized when if you open the fridge, you have all these vaccines, but uh, for adults. But travel medicine is not the only thing that adults need vaccines for. Some some people need vaccines if they're starting certain types of allied health schools. You're going to be a pharmacist. You're going to be a physical therapist. You're going to be a, a nurse. You need a certain set of vaccines or blood tests for vaccines. If um, if you're going to be working in a hospital or a surgery center or, or a hospice or a rehab, there are certain vaccines and testing you need. So there was this need for all of this for different vaccines and testing for things for all these different 
we call it books of business, but that need was there. Nobody was doing it as, at least comprehensively. Uh, no, no, yes, and not, and everybody yeah. was doing it as a side hustle. Nobody mm -hmm. was doing it was as their primary thing. Yeah, right, because they were also doing primary care and mm -hmm. they were seeing sick people and. You know, and by the way, we have these other services that none of us really understand, but we know a little bit. Uh, you know, it's sort of like, I don't know, sort of like going to see your, uh, you know, attorney who does probate, but now he's going to represent you in a criminal case or, you know, whatever. It's just nobody I read a book no, on it once. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or they have some familiarity. So nobody, everybody was doing it as a side gig. And I think part of it was if you set up this whole system where you have doctors and nurse practitioners and, and, and exam rooms, you can't help but see sick people. You're like, well, we're, all, mm -hmm. we're already there. You know, we have everything. How can we turn away sick people? Yeah. But we made a conscious decision, you know, we're not going to turn away sick people. We'll refer them to some primary, great primary care doctors, you know, in our neighborhood or whatever neighborhood they're in. But we weren't going to do primary care. So if you walked into our clinic with a tummy ache, we would refer you out. And even though we had the doctor and the nurse, we just weren't going to do it because mm -hmm. we really wanted a focus on preventative health and wellness for adults. And then, you know, one thing led to another and we started saying, well, you know, nobody has, nobody has the technology that we need because nobody does this. So we tried to use third-party software, you know, off the rack and, it just didn't fit because we weren't doing primary care and we weren't billing insurance companies and, and everything on, on the shelf focused on primary care and billing insurance companies. Not even for expensive vaccinations. I right. Mean, was, well, well I mean, no, because I mean, the way it worked is a lot of the travel vaccines are not classically covered by most um, mm. insurance companies anyway. They, they're like, well, why should we pay? Because you want to go to, to Safari right. in Kenya. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and it and and whatever they reimburse wouldn't sometimes the reimbursements wouldn't even cover the cost of the vaccine that, mm -hmm. that the provider had to pay. So it wasn't practical, even if it was covered. If they pay you less than you paid for it, you're not going to be in business long enough right. to give it. It's kind so, of hard to make money when you're losing money. That's <laughs> well, just to even pay your staff. Forget about yeah. making money. But so it just yeah. So it, the field lends itself, broadly speaking you know, to be outside of traditional health plans. But, but what we did is we tried to make it as affordable as possible because we were going to do a lot of volume and we tried to make the experience, you know, be worth it. So literally no wait time, everything's paperless. You register online, you book your appointment online, the results go back to you to your portal. And so we spent all of this time and energy to, and, you know, we also gave people, a receipt uh, of their services. So if it was a covered benefit under their policy, you know, they could submit our receipt to their insurance yeah. carrier. So, yeah. you know, we kind of <clears throat> built that into our system. So the people who could have it covered uh, could try to get it reimbursed. But more importantly, we wanted to see if we could do it in a way that whether companies were using us, schools were using us, healthcare facilities were using us for their employees or or, or organizations were using us for their members. If we could provide them a, a service that literally had no friction, uh, minimal wait times, and really let technology let 
the patients or the clients be in control of almost everything? There's a um, there's kind of a funny story about people wanting Chick-fil-A drive-throughs to mm -hmm. be the ones that are administering the COVID vaccines. Yes. I, I want you to be administering the healthcare administration in our, yes. in our, in our government. Yeah, I want thank to, you. I want to book it online. I want to show up, yeah. have the service done, come back home and with my receipt in hand. Right. Right. I mean, what yeah. a great system. Yeah. I tell you nothing, nothing gets to me. I'll, I'll tell you the things that used to irk us, you know, like I think we, we all have the experience of going into a, a clinic or a doctor's office and somebody handing us a clipboard with 15 pieces of paper of things that we filled out a thousand times before. And you're like, really kidding, really 20 pieces of paper. I really, I'm, I, I'm just here to whatever, get my teeth cleaned or something. And you're like, and so we said, there's gotta be a better way. Uh, and then, you know, this whole idea of like, um, if you need your medical records, you know, why, why are your medical records with someone else? I mean, first of all, it's your medical records. Mm. Right. I mean, so we just looked at Amazon and said, well, how does Amazon do it? I mean, if I want to know what I bought on Amazon a year ago, do I call up Amazon and say, can I have my records of what I bought from you a year ago? No, 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 no. It's, I go, it's on the cloud. I log into my account. Oh, yeah, that's There's my order. Yeah. That's the shoe I ordered a year and a half ago. Uh, and so we replicated that. So basically, we don't even have a medical records department because there's nothing we would ever do for you that you wouldn't already own and you can download as a PDF uh, by just logging into the cloud. So, I mean, it was just trying to do that and, and getting rid of friction between the healthcare provider and the client or patient where there is no friction. I mean, you are the customer, we're taking care of you. And, you know, people you know, go to our website, e7health.com and they're like, we literally have 10,000 reviews in three years. Wow. I mean, I don't know of any company in the world that has 10,000 reviews. And, and they're the probably most, good, good reviews. I mean, there, yeah, there may be companies that have 10,000 reviews, but, they're all mad. <laughs> but, but yeah, right. They, they hate you. But what's interesting is people say, when, when people say like, this is totally fake because I know I, I can spot a fake because I can tell the same person wrote them all because they all say fast, friendly, efficient, friendly, efficient, fast. They just kind of rechange the words, but that's really because it's the same experience. Um, so um, it's funny how people think that, but I think part of it is if you drive through a Chick-fil-A, you know, you're getting the same experience and it's, it's consistently efficient. And yeah. that's, that's, I think what we should all try to do in healthcare. So, I mean, I love the idea and I understand the, the need for it, but this is one of these things that, I mean, it is an in-person service. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't get a vaccine virtually. So mm -hmm. how do you scale this idea? Did you, I mean, is it primarily in, in Las Vegas? Did yeah. it start in Las Vegas and then you've gone to LA, you've gone to San Diego, you've gone to Reno. I mean, right. what's the, what's, or what's the plan uh, that the plan. you're moving forward? Well, the one, the big plan, first of all, is to make sure what we do is scalable. So uh, we spend all our time, even currently, improving our technology. So when we first started, we had like 15, 20 third-party softwares to make the whole thing go. We've gotten rid of, I mean, the bulk of it was, the, you know, getting rid of the electronic medical records and the practice management software. So we, mm -hmm. that we do ourselves. 
but we're just in the process of taking out more of it. I mean, we were using a third party scheduling software. We're just in the process of taking that out. And each one of those is a six to 12 month yeah, endeavor transition, yeah. because, and we have everything off, everything we do is on the cloud and Microsoft mm -hmm. uh, Azure and, mm -hmm. you know, and we have a full-time software development team. And uh, bef we, before we roll it out, we want to make sure every part of it, we have an online university where um, our staff can train. So if you're the receptionist, you're the marketing person, you're the nurse, you're the medical assistant, we have separate university courses for you uh, in our, we call it E7 Health University. So, uh, and we're finishing and continuing to add to those coursework. So the idea is to make it scalable, button it up and then, and then expand. Because I think a lot of people come up with a great concept and then and all they can think about is expanding. But if you expand, and you don't have the technology to make it scalable and have the same experience, the same mm. quality. Yep. Um, you're just expanding for the sake of expanding, and um, you know it may or may not work. But right. we we want to focus more on the technology and making it scalable. I mean, I, I'm going to ask a question that I'm I think my listeners may be maybe wondering as well. Are there that many? international travelers in Las Vegas that you can make? And, and if that's the case, I mean, is this a, is this a one-time thing or do people tend to come back every year because they're going to yeah. different parts of the world? Yeah. So again, you know, the travel medicine, you know, we call ourselves E7 mm -hmm. and the E stands for, of course, the technology. Um, the seven is really seven books of business and travel medicine is now one of the seven. So you know, let's just say that makes up 20% of our business. So right. the other 20%. So we went into every book of business that vaccines were involved. So for example, there's vaccines involved in employee health. Uh, there's vaccines involved in, st in student health. There's vaccines involved in uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, so we're in that business because there's vaccines involved. So if vaccine, you know, the way I kind of look at it is imagine you have a refrigerator full of vaccines for a travel medicine clinic, but you don't use it for anything but travel medicine. And the analogy I give is if you wanted to open up a tire shop, right? And you had an inventory of all the tires, you know, in the, in the United States. I mean, every single tire you can imagine, but you only decided to only sell tires to Chevrolet's that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. So right. if we're going to have a vaccine full of refri a refrigerator full of vaccines, we're not just going to do travel. And that was the original idea. We're not going to do just travel medicine. We're going to do employee health, student health. We're going to do STD, COVID. We mm. were going, we're going to do it all. If vaccines are involved, not only are we going to do the vaccine, but we're going to go vertical. So if we're going to give STD vaccines, we're going to do STD testing and we're going to do STD treatment. So whatever vaccines were involved, just like travel medicine is not all vaccines. It's writing prescriptions, it's food, water, safety, insect precautions you know, talking about how to stay safe, what have you. So we provide all the services around the vaccines. Right. In seven different books of business. So, I mean, I can see the, the travel, the travel health. I can see the, the kind of proactive front end part. What about I come home, I've got this 
bug from mm-hmm. drinking some lake water in, in right. Uganda, you know, or do you also work no. on that side of things? Or? No, because that really would fall into primary care and mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, you know, infectious disease and tropical medicine and that kind of stuff. So we're all about preventing you from getting sick and we're not against treating you. It's just, we want to get really good at this. Right. Right. And, and, you know, like, you know, I see a lot of doctors who are primary care and they're doing Botox and weight loss and selling vitamin pills. And, you know, you can do anything you want, but we just want to do vaccine preventable illnesses and, and whatever books of business that involves. And there's nothing wrong with other stuff, but we want to, we want to get really good at this. It's kind of like you, you, the, the, another Chick-fil-A analogy, you know, I want to make that chicken sandwich really well, you know, right. and we're, we can make that in 1700 locations across the country. Right. Tastes just exactly like it does in Atlanta. Yeah. 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 And nobody goes to them and say, have you ever thought of serving tacos? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they could make tacos if they put their mind to it. <laughs> That's right. But let's get good at what we do. So let's get good at what we do. Well, you brought up the. uh, That's also an interesting thing because, like, if if you go to our website or even if you go to Google and read our reviews, that's really all they say. Like, I cannot believe this place exists. Mm. I mean, it's it's just a repetition of where you know where did this come from, and (laughs) and we wouldn't get those comments if we were Chick Fil A making tacos. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, you did bring up the kind of the big C word just a minute ago, COVID. I mean, so. You know, I, I've actually had my COVID vaccination and I both went, went both? in. No, actually, I had the Johnson and Johnson. Oh, so you got I the Johnson, one, right. Yeah, so good. But I, I went in, walked into this massive airplane hangar looking mm-hmm. thing with yeah. 10,000 of my closest friends and mm-hmm. got the vaccination, got in my car and drove off. It sounds like to me that you're a for-profit endeavor. How does how do COVID vaccines work in, in an environment like yours? Well, I mean, so right now we don't give the COVID vaccine just because it's, you know, it's sort of a, um, mainly a government run things. And I know they've signed contracts with uh, Walgreens and CVS. So, um, but eventually if, if COVID continues to be a, a month, you know, yearly vaccine, at some point there may, it may have a commercial use, but mm-hmm. we, we really, we were in the forefront of COVID because we were one of the well, one of the early companies that uh, went national with home COVID saliva testing. So we set okay. up a, in conjunction uh, with a lab at Rutgers University in New Jersey. They were the, one of the first labs to get the emergency use authorization. So in conjunction with them, we set up a program where we people can you know come to us and we will over we will overnight. We did overnight through the height of the pandemic. Uh, COVID saliva testing, not the swab that you put in your mm-hmm. nose, but the saliva testing where you spit into a little tube. And then you would FedEx back to, uh, to us and to our lab and, and we'd get the results to you ideally in 24 hours or a little more than that, depending. And so um, that was our foray into trying to help with the pandemic, you mm-hmm. know, set up a nationwide COVID saliva testing where you, and what we liked about the COVID saliva testing is it didn't require someone else to administer the test. It was self-administered. So it was self-administered. It was done at home or at work. Uh, Many employers used us to reopen factories where they would Mm. order saliva tests and literally have, you know, all the people who showed up at the, at the 
factory, you know, come in and, and get one or they would drop them off at their house and they would, once they were clear, they would bring them back. So we were really excited. And, and all of that was our, our technology because we had to do, you know, the software development, do the API integration, you know, with the lab and, and with a, our patient portal and, and in the height of the pandemic, you know, we had our software developers like working overtime to set that up. It is, uh, it is such a broad field. And I mean, there's so much, um, you know, so many different opinions around this about, you know, the, what's the best course of treatment, what's the best course of prevention. And, mm -hmm. and I know that you have, you've actually been on, on some uh, TV shows and, you know, news, newscasts mm -hmm. and things like that, asking, you know, specifically about this and, and, uh, you know, you, you've shared your expertise in this field, but I'm in, I'm really interested in how you see the impact of this in the business world moving forward mm -hmm. and what, you know, how you think it's going to change the way we do business. Well, you know, I have mixed feelings about it because um, I know it's going to change broadly speaking. And, mm -hmm. and um, I think broad, broadly speaking, I think it's going to change in ways that, for example, um, and, and I have mentioned this on other shows, um, you know, like how how the Great Depression impacted that generation mm -hmm. and, you know, and how the World War II impacted, how the Vietnam War impacted a, a certain generation. Um, I can't, uh, yeah, I, I just can't imagine how this wouldn't be the same. I, I think, you know, surviving this, uh, you know, is going to be similar to that in the sense that you don't know how it's going to change, but it's certainly going to change you. You know, right. we always, I don't know if you ever met anybody's parents or grandparents who survived the depression and, you know, a lot of them couldn't never see, you know, like changing, uh, giving up their a used car and buying a new one because yeah, the, the used car was still running. I mean, until they ran into the ground, they're not going to buy a new car. And that was a mentality that came out of the great depression, mm. you know? And so, so, it, and I'm not sure if you were in the Great Depression, you would have predicted that, but, you know, uh, that, you know, you, you're going to evolve certain things. So, so yeah, the broadly speaking, I think things are going to change somewhat. They have to because of the nature of the event. Specifically, what's going to change, you know, I call this pandemic the Great Accelerator. Uh, and as long as, you know, this is a business uh, podcast or show, you know, let's talk about that. I mean, because I think in many ways, this accelerated things that would have happened anyway. You know, if there's a certain department store that went bankrupt during COVID, I'm, someone could make the argument, they probably would have gone bankrupt in five or 10 years anyway. Yeah, yeah. And this accelerated that. Uh, you know, let's take, um, you know, technology. I don't know how many people heard of Zoom before the pandemic, and maybe they would have all heard of Zoom in five or 10 years, but this accelerated that. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, no one had heard of mRNA technology for, to mm -hmm. make vaccines, but it's been on the shelf for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe five, 10 years, maybe we would have heard about that, but this accelerated that. So I think there are things in business that are going to be accelerated. Like, you know, I just can't imagine going to a conference two, three years from now. And there's a big queue of people to pick up their pass at the beginning of the conference. I just can't, I would imagine COVID or no, the whole idea of just being in a big crowd for something as ridiculous as picking up 
a badge for a conference is probably, you know, I'm, I'm guessing it may not be the it's same. So 2020. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, or, you know, just things that happened in 2019, like, you know, you go to a baseball game or a hockey game and are there really going to be like 200 people, be, you know, between periods trying to get a hot dog and yeah. standing in one little, uh, yeah. will, will there be? I mean, so I think it will force technology to take that out, not, not even because of health, because we can now, we know we could, we, you know, maybe they'll bring the hot dog to where you're sitting and you just mm -hmm. order it on an app. Right. I mean, you, why do you have to go in that queue? Uh, right. Because, uh, you know, and just like Zoom. So the one thing that I do want to talk about, which I again, it's just my little thing about it, is this whole the whole idea of <laughs> of are people going to be working from home? You know, when this mm -hmm. thing is over, so yeah. I don't know if that issue has come up. No, I was hoping you were going to touch on that. Yeah. Yeah, I have I have a. I, I'm so contrarian on this. I'm sure everybody you've had has told you, oh yeah, we're all going to be working from home. Oh, Twitter sent everybody home and Google sent every, oh yeah, forget, I mean, office buildings are going to be torn down and you know made into shopping centers or something. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. It's all really good and fine during the height of the pandemic to talk about the upside of remote work. Uh, but I'm not sure it's really sustainable. And, and the reasons why I, I'm not sure it's sustainable, and I, I don't mean in all cases, one, a certain, certain sector of the population work it, wh whose jobs are not amenable to remote work. Mm -hmm. If I'm driving a bus or I'm a construction worker or I'm in the hospitality industry, uh, that can't go remote, right? You know, I mean, right. how can I serve you dinner or serve you coffee or build your house remotely? I can't. So just this concept of the whole work for you, you know, everyone will go live in Seattle or Minnesota, wherever they want and, and work remotely. So once you realize a certain percentage of the workforce cannot, so let's just, you got to take them out of the equation. Mm -hmm. They just can't, you know, I can't, you can't drive an Uber working remotely. You're going to have to show up. Okay, so that aside, and then and then I think I think there's a romanticism about remote workers that every remote worker goes home and quadruples their productivity because they can be with their dog all day. I'm not sure that's true. I I I bet you some people go home and work less. Yeah, I mean yeah. this it's a romantic could be it's a romantic thing. But that doesn't mean everybody, and I'm not even sure. Maybe the majority do do work more, you know. But you can't say you know we send a hundred people home, and all hundred are killing it at home. Right, right. And I've I've never yeah. heard anyone talk about that. It's almost like not not fashionable <laughs> a taboo to subject. Say. That's right. That's it's a it's a taboo subject right now. Yeah, just right. don't and don't course, speak against that. You know. Yeah, yeah, and of course here I am. You know what am I doing? <laughs> speaking <laughs> no but but the, but that doesn't mean all workers so right. yes or, or all staff there are clearly freelancers or people who do bookkeeping and things that could be done remotely so i but i'm but then i think the other part that really you know it's easy during a pandemic to say remote work is cool yeah but, you know what about the culture what about collaboration what about mental yeah. health yeah, yeah you know just <laughs> staying in your house all day yeah so um, I don't know. I mean, uh, be very frank with you. Uh, when you know, 
at the height of my career, you know, running hosp- from one hospital to another, uh, yeah, there's a certain buzz. There was a certain adrenaline. Mm, yeah. uh, that, who am I going to bump into today? Um, maybe, of course, that could be, you know, idiosyncratic and what I learned from other people, you know, the mentors I had, mm. um, the people who taught me a lot, um, you know, so yes, some people will stay remote, but I, I just have this feeling that, that this overly dramatic presentation that we're going to become some sort of um, remote workforce, um, given all of those things um, is probably not the case. I, what is your, I mean, I, I don't want to interview you, but what have you been he- hearing from the pe- people you interview? Is that sort of what, what is the preponderance of people thinking? It, it's interesting because, um, I mean, certainly there this, these concerns that you've raised, you know, people are cognizant of those things, but I think what they, the, the, if there was a consensus kind of a trend line that I can, I can kind of identify, it's we're never going to go back to the way it was before completely. So it's, we're never going to be back at, you know, late t- 2019, early 2020 anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, if you want to recruit younger talent they are starting to kind of demand this as part of the package Uh, and maybe it's a blended environment maybe it's a i Mm -hmm. want to go in the office two days a week and i want to work three days a week Mm -hmm. somewhere i want to have unlimited vacation but i Mm -hmm. know that i can't necessarily take it because i've my i've got so much work to do if i take unlimited vacation i i will fail to deliver and i'll get fired so Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's it really is i mean i think that's a there's a positive view of you know where we're moving toward but mm-hmm. i do think that it's it's not a complete full remote workforce never you know sell all the buildings you know turn them into gymnasiums or, right. or apartment right, right. blocks or whatever so yeah and, no yeah. i think we're, we're we're much more simpatico i i, I yeah. think yes there's a certain percentage of they just don't need to be there and i get that but the ones that collaboration and culture and feeding off each other that's a lot to give up for certain types of positions for sure for sure well you mentioned a second business can you touch on that just really quickly i'm assuming it's it's a little more in the tech space uh, i mean you said your well, first one was tech space around healthcare uh, so yeah yeah, uh, yeah yeah well it really evolved from from me seven because one of the pillars we got into was drug testing mm-hmm. because most of the people who were needed vaccines for employee health and needed vaccines for student health. Also, they had to get drug testing as part of the whole package. Right. So like, like I said earlier, we started offering everything that went along mm-hmm. with, with it. So we, so we de- started developing software for drug testing. And what we did was uh, we became literally, uh, I know everyone comes on this, these shows and we're the Uber of this and we're the Uber <laughs> of that. But we really took a page out of Uber because Uber, for example, has no drivers, right? They don't, they don't employ any drivers and they don't own any cars. So what are they? They're just a software that connects, you know, the drivers right. to the passengers and the drivers use their own car. So what we, we developed a nationwide drug testing company where we connected, you know, all the Quest, LabCorp, third-party drug testing collection centers. So our customers and our clients could have access to you know, a nationwide network up to 15, 20,000 locations through our software. And they could order the test through our software and get the results through our software. And our staff could ha- help manage their whole program. 
So that's literally a technology company that we, you know, started from scratch and on the cloud. And that was a spin-off, a sister company that kind of grew because we had developed the technology inside of E7 Health. And then we we just launched it as its own company back in 2015. And it's it's a separate corp. Separate corporation, standalone corporation. Yeah, it's it, just what's it called? It's US. It's called U.S. Drug Test Centers. U.S. Drug. So, I mean, does it connect like companies like eScreen, that type of thing, or yeah, is, is yeah. that kind of on its own? Or yeah, no. You you would have access to eScreen's network. You'd have access to Quest's network. You would have access to LabCorp's network. You'd have access to everybody's. I mean, third parties, urgent cares. Right. All of them connect to our software. So you, you don't have to pick one. And so literally you can order a test in any small town in the United States, any big town. We'll probably have a location a mile from where you're sitting. I, I would not be surprised. I mean, right. in an urban environment here, I'm, you may have more than one. So. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. So, but that again was a technology play because we, you know, there are other companies doing similar things, but we actually, you know, wrote our own software mm -hmm. so we can literally, you know, as our client, as we understand our clients needs and wants, we actually become a solution, not just a product. So if we get it, if we get it, you know, we just signed a major league baseball team. So we, we try to understand what they need and we try to accommodate that because we, we're not a drug testing company. We're a software company, right? Masquerading as a drug testing right. company. So I, I'm, I've got a question I'm really curious about. So I'm gonna I'm gonna dig down a little deeper in the psyche of Doctor Bach. Oh my gosh! Here. So <laughs> you know, I'm I'm, I, I'm a very private person. This is very uncomfortable. <laughs> are you are you fascinated by the by technology or is it just a necessary evil to accomplish what you want to do in, in the bigger picture? No, no, I'm definitely, I mean, um, you know, I mean, almost everyone who knows me, you know, if they say, you know, it's my birthday, everyone knows like, you know, I want something tech. I mean, I, I just, whether it's photography or, or just, just, uh, <laughs> It hit the bug hit me a long time ago. I think it was first my first Apple laptop. I don't know I bought know, thirty years ago or something or whatever, and it was just it was I was in. I'm I'm sold. I mean, <laughs> so just realize, you know, technology can really improve if if done right. Can really improve people's lives. Can really certainly in healthcare can really improve patients perception of their care, um, how they feel about their care, how much information they have about their care. There's really no, no way to, to have that level of impact on patients if you don't leverage technology. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I think, you know, the, you know, whether even if you look at one of these smart watches now that can take your EKG or, yeah. or your pulse, yeah. Yeah, that that would have been, you know, um, that would have been Star Trek stuff five, ten years ago, sure. and and uh, and it, and the way it's going, yeah, no, I, I love how I I love being at the intersection of technology and healthcare. And that's a great intersection to be at because, I mean, anything's possible. I mean, anything.
So um, you've uh, been yeah. you've been in that in that moving intersection for a number of years. I mean, it's not like you just you know the last three to five years you just mm -hmm. kind of stepped into that. I mean, right. you really have. I mean, even so many roles you've been on kind of the leading edge of this mm -hmm. of this movement, but. I, I would I could sit here and, and ask you questions all night long, but uh, I, I do want to respect your time. And I want to ask you as we're closing, is there anything that we haven't touched on? Is there a, a, a call to action that you want to you want to present our listeners with and then just maybe close by telling them where's the best place to find you? Yeah. I mean, you know, part of the reason I do some of these talks is, is you know, we, we do it for educational reasons. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're located in Las Vegas, not like we're trying to drum up business per se. Um, you know, as part of it is just really education. And, and the last part of, you know, the six, six months that, you know, we were kind of coming up to the vaccine and finally the introduction of vaccines really encourage everyone to get vaccinated. Um, I can't, you know, uh, I know a lot of young people have vac vaccine hesitancy. I know a lot of people, you know, when I say COVID vaccine, of course, um, but you got to really understand, uh, you know, we have to get this pandemic under control, both in the United States and worldwide before a variant comes out. And we have to, it's like, we're going to be starting the whole ball game over if that were to happen, if a variant comes out, that's not covered by the vaccine. So it's a race between, you know, getting herd immunity versus getting a variant that's not covered by one of these vaccines. So mm -hmm. um, I know if you want to come up with reasons not to get it, that's easy to do. But I really, really want to encourage everyone, uh, even if you're younger and you feel not vulnerable to it, um, you do it for people you love, do it for others. Um, uh, I would be, that would be my parting uh, message. In terms of getting hold of uh, us, uh, you can go to e7health.com. You can go to bakhtarimd.com. I'm on LinkedIn. So those are all great places. If you want to reach out, if there's anything we can do. Well, is that one one closing question I do have about the clientele or the or the customer base of, of your U.S. drug testing centers mm. or whatever? So, who who is the ideal client? Is it is are these businesses or these individuals? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who, who is this wide designed for? Yeah. So you so the drug testing industry is kind of broken up into two categories broadly, irrespective of us, and that's mandated drug testing mainly by the Department of Transportation mm -hmm. and non-mandated drug testings that corporations and and different institutions like healthcare institutions want to do. So the Department of Transportation drug testing is mandated. Every truck driver, if you drive a truck, if you fly a plane, a, a boat, uh, a train, anything that the public would be in or in contact with, you don't have a choice. You have to be in a drug testing program. Right. And that's federally mandated DOT drug testing. Mm -hmm. So we certainly take care of that industry and all of those, you know, all the industries within DOT that I just named are our clients. That's on the DOT. On the non-DOT side, uh, we have just you know traditional healthcare facilities and other institutions that have drug-free workplace policies yeah. and have a drug testing program. So those are all clients. And lastly, we have retail clients, uh, people who need drug testing because they're going through a divorce, child custody, probation, mm. uh, retail customers that need drug testing as part of that. And or sometimes, you know, parents that want to drug test their teenagers, you know, it's pretty much the runs the whole gamut. Um, but, but in terms of our bigger clients, it's usually 
DOT or other corporations that are non-DOT but have a robust drug testing program. And so the, I mean, you're the software behind this. So I'm assuming you've got some relationship worked out with all of these different testing companies that as you're referring people to, to their centers, there's, there's some form of, for lack of a better term, an affiliate program or something like that. No, no. So it's, it's our account. So they're, they're doing, they're just doing the collection for us. So okay, we are the drug testing yep. company. That makes sense. Okay. So we're basically yeah. that we have an account with them. We say, we're going to send you our clients do the collection, but we, we take the results and we manage the results. We also, you know, we, out, we, for companies that need random testing, we are the, we put all their employees in a metaphoric lotto thing. yeah i was going to say the, the big then, ball hopper <laughs> and, and metaphorically our computer yeah. does that for them every quarter or every month depending on what kind of program they have so we, we manage all of that we write policies so every company that's going to do drug testing needs have a, needs to have a policy in place like what happens if you test positive you get fired you get a second chance what, what right. all those policies that need to be written ahead yep. of time yeah we do that yeah. So we manage your policies and we do training. So we will train your senior staff uh, to be the designated employee rep uh, and other training that your staff who are running your drug testing program need to be compliant and not a follow of, you know, laws and depending right. on your state and what have you. So we go, we do everything we do from the drug testing to writing your policy, to training your staff, uh, to managing and also answering your questions uh, and helping you navigate audits from the Department of Transportation. Uh, it's a full service drug testing company, uh, but the backbone of it is technology. I am really glad I asked for that clarification because I would have closed this interview and led my listeners astray. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they were they had that well, same maybe, question. Maybe that was too granular. I'm not sure if they were. No, no, no. I, that's exactly the, the you answer the question that I had. So I I love the, the really the whole idea from both companies that you really are a a concierge. I mean, you know, you're a full service agency that right. is built on the back of technology and. Um, just love the fact that that you have thought through these things so well and really melt, met some felt needs and and tried to meet the the or the or the need and the and the opportunity to meet um, really is is uh, exactly where where good business you know resides and Dr. Bakhtar I just want to thank you for taking the time today it's been a pleasure to uh, meet you and to interview you on rising tide startups and just thank you again for playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Thank Have you a again. great day. Thank you so much for having me. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.